Our very existence depends on this. This black strength. Strength that has carried us for decades, but is undermining an important aspect of our humanity and feeding in on itself. Being strong all the time took away our ability to speak about our weaknesses, our sadness, our mental illnesses. This silence is killing us. Welcome to another edition of the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Black Doctor Speak is your source for vetted, accurate information on African-American health from some of the nation's top doctors and is sponsored by the African-American Wellness Project. Welcome to this week's edition of Black Doctors Speak. Our co-host today is Dr. Donna Carey. Dr. Carey is a communicator, a pediatrician, and administrator. She does so many things well that I can't pinpoint her into one area. So she's our co-host today on Black Doctors Speak. So welcome, Dr. Carey. Thank you, Dr. Lenore. Thank you for having me. You know, I think people are sick of COVID conversations. But I think so, too. <laughs> what's going to happen, though, is that uh, even though uh, we're tired of COVID, COVID's mm-hmm. not tired of us. And not at all. New variant of the variant of that variant right. uh, to be taken over this country. And I don't know how you feel, but I'm concerned that uh, that we're in for a rugged, rugged ride because most people think this is over. Yeah, I agree. I think we we really have relaxed our our you know what we're doing on a daily basis people are no longer wearing masks they're they're conti- they're going in and going into restaurants and concerts completely unmasked um and the requirement now only has to be that you need to be vaccinated but does that mean vaccinated plus your booster uh, does that mean just uh or just your primary vaccines which we know are not as effective if you don't have the booster I got tickets to the Soul concert. <laughs> Hamilton, Joe, you know. And, uh, oh yes, that's, that's gonna be great. But you're boosted. You're boosted. Yeah, but I'm telling you, I know I'm boosted. But <laughs> you know, I'm still not quite comfortable. Right. Uh, you know, I know that I need to. I want to know, just like Joe does. Right. You know, if, you're <laughs> if you're vaccinated, because I think that that uh, you're, you're right. People seem to act as if this whole process is over. And you mm-hmm. know, no, it's not. Uh, right. The question is, A, why should you get vaccinated? We've been through that for the last couple of years. Yeah. Now it's why should you get uh, a booster? And now why should you get another booster? Right. Well, why should you? Well, I think you should get another booster because what we're finding out is that, um, first of all, the vaccines work. Right. If you look at the people who are getting sickest and who are being hospitalized and who are dying, they are, for the most part, those who are unvaccinated. So we know that the vaccines work to protect us from really serious, significant disease from COVID. But we also know that the vaccines are not working for a year. They're working somewhere between at its peak effectiveness. Right. That's what you want is between four and six months. So if you receive a vaccine, you're protected, but then six months later, are you still protected? And that's what the booster does. It helps to go ahead and shore up what your body was already doing that mapped your immune system, get it ready, get your, I say, get your soldiers lined up, ready to fight. And you want your soldiers on high alert. You don't want some of them sleepy, some of them hungry and malnourished. You want all of them on the front lines, ready to fight. And that's what a booster does for you. Yeah, yeah you know, and, and multiple boosters is not uncommon. I mean, right. in several of our vaccines, infants get three or four shots. That's right. Uh, same thing uh, on several occasions. Uh, right. And they seem to do quite well simply because uh, of the 
protection seems to wane at times. And I, mm-hmm. I'm just very concerned that people don't understand that um, once you that wanes, you, you'll probably be protected from um, death and, and uh, serious illness, but you're right. not going to be protected uh, for infection. And I saw some studies that suggested that even if you've been, even if you've had the disease, mm-hmm. um, you can benefit from vaccination. And so, right. those of you who've had, who've been uh, vaccinated, you really need to um, document it. And one of the right. reasons we need to document that is because of this whole long haulers thing. That's right. Uh, why don't you tell people about long haulers? Yeah. So long haulers, you know, we knew early on that COVID didn't just, you didn't just get infected and then it left you and you were fine. We knew that the the virus likes to hang out in your body. We're learning more and more that it likes to hang out in the gut. It likes to hang out in the brain. It likes to hang out in the lungs. And so long haul is those who have been infected with coronavirus. But then even after they get over that initial infection, they continue to have symptoms for weeks and months after that initial infection. Yeah, well, it's important, I think, to um, to document that because uh, I just saw some things where the administration is going to start releasing a lot of funds yes. uh, for covering disability, yes. not just the COVID infection, but from the long haulers thing. Right. And so if you haven't documented that you actually had the problem, you may have more difficulty getting access to some of the resources you need if you get the long haulers disease, but I think we, you know, we, we want to stop talking about COVID, but we can't. We can't. You know, there were, I'm sorry, Mike, I didn't mean to cut you off. But there were, you know, over 9 million cases, uh, positive, you know, cases of coronavirus in the United States. Over 9 million people got infected with this virus, and that's still counting. And the, the, thought is somewhere between 10 and 30% of those people who get an active infection with coronavirus are going to have long COVID. So of those 9 million people, that means that there's going to be somewhere between 900,000 and almost 3 million people who are going to have symptoms after they get over their initial infection. So that means that for the healthcare system, that we have to think about those people who come in and they're still kind of foggy, they're not thinking clearly, they can't concentrate. That's for adults and our children. And we know that's going to show up differently in our children. It may not be where they can express that I just don't seem to be able to concentrate. They might be too young to recognize that. So it really is going to be incumbent upon us in the healthcare field, pediatricians, family medicine doctors, you know, adult medicine doctors to be able to understand long COVID and to recognize it because people may not have the vocabulary to express what's happening to them. Yeah, you know, I think I'm, I think I had brain fog long before COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I better go, maybe I better go get me a test. I think that to digress a little bit, that that I was following the COVID virus instead of it following me because in 2019, when it first appeared, I spent about three days and four days in Times Square then I left there, came back home, went on a smooth jazz cruise. Oh, wow. Then I went to Las Vegas. Where I got real sick. And I was absolutely certain that I had a COVID infection, but I got those antibodies, which is one way to tell whether or not you're infected. And I didn't have them, but I swore I was trying to catch the virus before I yeah. knew it was trying to catch me. That's yeah, you right. know, 
One of the things I just saw recently, and you may want to comment on this, was a film by, by a famous producer from Oakland named, I think his name was Frank Miller. And it was, it talks about, the name of the film was Black Men uh, Don't Cry. Mm. And it was talking about mental health uh, mm. in Black males and the fact that we, um, we, don't, we don't seek help. We're not right. getting what we need. And we're starting to see, at least in my practice and, and even among just people that, that I know, that the anxiety and the pressure associated with this uh, in, in pandemic uh, on the backs of just kind of day-to-day uh, issues that Black people face is yeah. really creating some serious mental health problems. Yeah. And, and to com- compound that problem, um, you know, we're seeing that Black men are not going for um, treatment are not recognizing that they need treatment. What's been your experience? I totally agree with that. Um, you know, on my show, uh, we did a whole series for a month on Black Boy Joy. And we really talked about mental health um, in in all stages of life, particularly for our Black men, because they're not expressive as women. Women, we cry, we tell you we're tired, we tell you we're, we're angry, we tell you we're depressed, but men hold all of that inside. And so we really talked about what what does it look like for an elementary young boy to have anxiety and and have stress and be depressed? What does that look like in each age group? And we're seeing that um, it's present, but people are not aware and people don't know who and where to talk to. Um, So I think finding some mentorship programs, some support groups for our young Black men, there's some great programs that Alameda County uh, Public Health Department runs for our young black men to kind of talk about their anxiety and their fear and their um, depression and their trauma, right? Our community is traumatized. Yeah, one of the interesting things that came out of that film, you know, everybody talks about the three basic issues of good health. They talk about diet, exercise, and then they talk about, um, they talk about stress. Mm-hmm. Well, what came out of this uh, discussion was that we're not raised uh, to deal with stress, we we were raised to deal with shame. Mm. The shame is maybe a bit more of an effective piece of our development than stress. Right. right. Um, our parents, you know, my father, he didn't make he made no bones about it. Yeah. I mean, you did what you were supposed to do. That's right. And you protected yourself, and you acted like man. Uh, otherwise, you were just you know, uh, not you weren't ostracized. But I have to say, he looked down on you a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was yeah. the experience of most of the men who are in this particular. Um, um, uh, there are many people you know, I like actors uh, and uh, people, writers, uh, people that you would recognize, talking about how they were raised. And uh, I think shame turned out to be a much bigger issue than I thought. Uh, and as I thought back on my own upbringing, I think that really was one of the key ways in which we were uh, uh, indoctrinated, not in uh, yeah. whatever, whatever fathers do. There right. wasn't no, was no sitting on the knee, you right. know, and certainly there wasn't no time out. Right. And that was out yeah. of the question. Absolutely out of the question. And I think that you're right. I think shame is probably a really big um, 
uh, driver in the black community, particularly for our men, because it's, you know, are you good in athletics? Are you, you know, if you're not, then that's, that's shameful. Uh, or are you a musician? Or are you smooth? Do you have girlfriends or do you not? You know, all of that stuff is, um, is shameful. If you're the, the little boy whose girlfriend is always getting taken by the cooler dudes, that's yeah. shameful. <laughs> embarrassing too. That is embarrassing. <laughs> It finally happened to me more than one or two times, you know. I tried to pretend like, you know, my feelings weren't hurt. I knew it all, but uh, I was pretty shaken up. <laughs> yeah, my, you my son, he's you 10. He just got his first little rejection, and but he took it in stride. I was proud of him. <laughs> Don't you remember when you, when you were in uh, high school, how deeply you felt everything? Yes. When somebody didn't, you know, you got to I'm going to tell you, here was a key sentence. Are you still going with so-and-so? Then you know, then you, then you know something is going wrong. But I, but I do think that we need to start to look at the issue of black men and mental health, starting with our young men, yes. and give them, give them more of a, uh, of a um, um, uh, and be more tolerant uh, yes. of the feelings that they may have and, and allow them to express their feelings. Because yes. it was not the way my brothers and I were raised, and yes. I think that we uh, we pay a price for it in many ways uh, in the way we raise our own children. Yeah, I agree. I think that film is just called uh, well, this whole it's a whole series uh, on Oprah, and I'll uh, try to find the name of the series, uh, and we'll try to get it out uh, as to exactly how you can watch it. But it's a series of um, pieces on black men in a lot of different situations. Uh, the other thing before we talk about uh, prostate cancer, which we will get to in just a minute, um, is that, you know, this whole issue of health equity has been a big deal. But, and, you know, the country has been much more sensitive to the issues that African-Americans are sicker than other people in our society. But I believe that's about to come to an end. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, we had the prime prime time, right, during the COVID is everyone was all about equity and making sure that, you know, communities of color had access to the vaccine and access to um, treatments and every and testing. Um, and I, I feel like that is starting, like you're saying, that's starting to close. Um, people are starting to say, well, we, we did all this work. We put all this effort in and they didn't take advantage of it. We sent uh, you a check. We sent you a check for you to solve this whole problem. Yeah, exactly. And um, and I think that that's sad because, you know, when you think about um, how long we have been um, oppressed in this country as black people um, and that it, it, you know, in in I'm over, you know, 50 um, and that my brother is 60 and he's like remembers in his lifetime having segregation. So it's not like the people who have to deal with the systemic oppression and racism are long gone, we're still here. Um, and so for them to think that this little amount of little chump change that they threw at us and this, you know, one year of effort to try to right the wrong is enough um, is really misguided. Yeah, even the state sprinkled a little money at, at these managed care, medical managed care programs, taking yeah. care of the sickest group of people and expect you to deal with the social determinants of health. Yeah. I just think that that's kind of, unless that becomes a systemic solution, I right. don't think that's going to make any difference. No, I, mean, no. I think it's an impossible task that yeah. they've given 
to some of the people that are supposed to take care of uh, the health of the underprivileged. Um, that, uh, one of the things that, uh, that we've seen, though, is that um, the interest in this is waning. So uh, my feeling is that health always for African-Americans has to start from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. They wait for it to come from the top down. Right. I think one of the tragedies, well, not tragedies, one of the side uh, effects of having a pandemic is that we've forgotten about the regular routine stuff that we yes. have to do, the tests yes. we take, uh, the visits we need to make for ourselves and our children to the doctor about regulars, and regular screening seems to have fallen off. Yes. Things have fallen off, uh, regular visits to the doctors have fallen off. And I think for black people, you really need to uh, reorganize and get into the situation where you are back in the system, you're getting the proper evaluations, you're getting the proper screening. Because I don't, certainly don't believe that after healthy people 2005, 10, right. 15, 20 failed, everything is going to succeed. And just recognizing social determinants is not going to keep you healthy. Right. And I, you know, I bet you after this pandemic and what I'd like for them to start to gather data on, which they probably won't because we already know the answer is, you know, now that we are out of the pandemic in a sense. Right. And that things are opening up and you can now go back and get your appointments for your your mammograms and your colonoscopies. Like what is the incidence of, you know, breast cancer and colon cancer? I mean, I just in my own family over these last two weeks, I had two different people diagnosed with cancer because they missed a screening last year. One missed a mammogram and this year found an invasive ductal cancer. Um, and someone else missed a colonoscopy screening and found colon cancer. Um, and I know that that's happening across this country, uh, particularly to African-Americans who may have missed one or maybe even two years of this screening. So I think that we really need to pay attention to it. We need to collect some data and, and really focus in on this because I know that we're going to see an increase in the risk of, in the um, incidence of cancer. Um, because we've missed these screenings. And how do we get people back on track? Well, you know, it, it's, it's interesting uh, as we talk about that because uh, every, every week I have to do a newsletter, a health newsletter. It's called the Ethnic Health Report. Those of you who want uh, uh, copies of it, I'm going to uh, give you an email address at the end of the program where you can send for that. Uh, as well as we're going to give you the uh, 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 some information on how uh, to get in touch with uh, Dr. Donna's programs uh, and progress in that communications area. She's a wonderful show every week. Um, but I, here's what I notice is the common denominator, is that every single time I look at a chronic disease, be it breast cancer or asthma or diabetes or anything else, Black people have worse outcomes. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with the genetics. Nothing. It only has to do with issues that uh, have to do with lifestyle, and it has more to do with the fact that we get there late. We get, we we live with diabetes, we live with obesity, we live with asthma, we live with signs of cancer uh, at both ends, and we don't get the screens, and we don't see the doctor soon enough. The common denominator in all of these chronic diseases is not the fact that we're genetically predisposed to that. Uh, It is the fact that we get there too late. Right. Right. And we do. We get there too late because um, so many different factors and reasons why we get there too late. But when we get there and we get there late, then there's we still have an impacted healthcare system. So even when you arrive, you arrive late. 
it might take you three, four weeks to even complete your workup. You've already arrived late. And now because the system is impacted with can't get your studies done quickly, can't get to the pathologist to read your studies quickly, can't get to the lab to get your lab work done. And it is impacting us more than anybody else. And we really have to take a look at that, the impacts of the healthcare system, what we need to, what we can do in the healthcare system and what we can we do to advocate for, for um, everyone. Not everyone has a doctor in the family, right? My family is blessed because they have me and I can vocalize and talk and advocate, but not everybody has that privilege. And we want everybody to be able to have great outcomes, regardless of who you did, who you happen to be related to. And you and I both know the system is broken. Yes. It's been broken for a long time. So even if you are an aware person, woke, right. even if you woke about this, yes. and you and you want to do something, uh, I tell people with, with babies, I said, now you think your baby's going to need a dermatologist? A neurologist, you know, mm-hmm. an oncologist, oral surgeon. Let's make that appointment now. Right. <laughs> two or three years to right. get in to see these people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just so, and it doesn't matter what system you're in. Uh, right. It's still going to be a problem. Yeah. So uh, you need, you know, you really need to start to think about uh, getting your own system and that of your family organized because I'm kind of the family doctor. Well, yeah. well, let me just say this. <laughs> I know you are, Dr. Lenore. There's <laughs> something that's wrong. They call my wife Denise, who's a nurse practitioner. My own girls and grandchildren will not touch me if there's a, if there's a medical problem. They think I'm too insensitive and I won't listen. And so they always call Denise, but they do have somebody to call. But right. I get from all over the country from various people because they can't reach the doctor. They can't do anything. So if you realize, and we're telling you, we're, you, you, we're taking you back to the doctor's lounge. We right. know the system is broken. Right. And if you want to really get good health care, uh, that you need to really start to organize your own system. And sometimes right. we, we've had programs on that, and we'll talk about that in future podcasts. The other thing uh, that I think that we, we have some good news mm-hmm. in that, in some of these diseases, we're starting to see that black people don't die, and then they say, as often. As, as often, they, right. <laughs> as they used to. We still lead the nation in deaths from prostate cancer in terms of percentages. Uh, for every prostate cancer diagnosed among black people, one in 44 African Americans die. I mean, one in 26. That's one in 44 for every Caucasian. We are doing better, but here's what's interesting about the studies on prostate cancer. This was just released this week uh, in the um, in uh, uh, the American Cancer Society. What's really interesting about this is if you take a black person and a white person, and this is probably true of so many chronic diseases, and you treat them exactly the same with the same test and the same treatment, and in many instances, the outcomes are better. And so consequently, there's still something about the system that you need to understand before you try to enter it at the last minute. And if right. you feel that you can skip a screen or that you can skip a symptom, uh, I have so many of my friends who've had heart attacks and strokes who had symptoms for weeks before they actually had the acute attack. Then mm-hmm. you have to realize once you do enter that system, that's when the struggle begins. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think that is um, interesting and and great news because so many times people say, oh, it's probably genetics why Black people do worse than, um, you know, Caucasians or anyone else in terms of chronic disease. So it's good that we have studies like this to show that, no, it doesn't have anything to do with the genetics. It has to do with 
the treatment of that individual. Um, and I think that part of the, the, um, the impact that we're making in prostate cancer and cancer and in general is that we're talking about it more. And so shows like this, where we can have conversations and people can get information um, is so important, particularly for our black men, because I find men more and more now are actually listening and hearing and trying to get information about their bodies and their health. And I think that is going to bode well for prostate cancer and any other type of a, a chronic diseases that we have. So I'm happy to hear we're making some headway. And I think that if we continue to push with shows like this, that we continue to provide information, and it's going to be even better for our community. And that's a good place for us to stop today's podcast. There's so many things we could be talking about and we'll be talking about uh, on a weekly basis. So we want you to join us. At the end of our program, we will have the information on Dr. Donna's uh, wonderful communications programs that you can see once a week. She's a very large following for a very good reason. And this program is sponsored by the African-American Wellness Project. Uh, our, our website will be listed as well. It's aawellnessproject.org. And you may as well mention yours now, Dr. Donna. Sure. So my show is on YouTube. The channel is called Talking with Dr. Donna. You can follow me on Facebook or on Instagram at mydrdonna, M-Y-D-R-D-O-N-N-A. People can follow you around all kinds of ways. <laughs> I'm to get to that point. We want to end our podcast as we always do by thanking you for joining us. Thank you for listening. We want you to share it uh, with your friends and you want to tell people about it. Uh, each week we'll be here with kind of candid conversation about what's going on in health, especially related to African-Americans. Remember, health is your biggest asset, so protect it. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed our show, please remember to hit the subscribe button so that new episodes are delivered directly to you every week, as well as rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, listening to our show is as simple as telling your Alexa, Siri, or Google to play the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Take care, everyone.